This podcast is from the Medical Republic. Welcome back to The Tea Room. Earlier this year, the Australian Medical Association and Doctors for the Environment Australia jointly called on the Australian healthcare sector to reduce its carbon emissions to net zero in the next two decades. In the interim, they are aiming for an emissions reduction target of 80% by 2030. Doctors already understand quite well that climate change is a health emergency, but coping with the carbon emissions from the Australian healthcare sector is part of the problem, and it accounts for about 7% of all emissions. This episode, Rheumatology Republic journalist Ben Falconmere interviews Dr John van der Callen, a rheumatologist in Newcastle, New South Wales, and the Chair of Doctors for the Environment Australia, to dig into the plan of what it will take to get us to net zero carbon emissions in healthcare, and how it might change day-to-day practice. John, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. The DEA report outlines how climate change is impacting the health of people, mentioning the bushfires during the 2019-2020 summer and coal burning as, as examples. Can you tell us about some of the impacts on the healthcare sector from climate change? Climate change is really a health emergency. It's a public health issue. All of us are now being affected by climate change, whether it's a relatively small effect with a slight increase in temperatures or whether it's an extreme weather event such as a bushfire or heat wave. There's clear evidence now that these events cause mortality, such as the bushfires that we saw last year. There was over 400 excess deaths due to those bushfires and multiple increase in people presenting to emergency departments with respiratory illnesses. Increasing heat and heat wave events have a mortality associated with that as well. And as climate warms and as the world temperatures increase, then the number of heat wave events are going to rise. So all of these things impact on our health. So hence, a number of organisations, including the AMA and Doctors for the Environment Australia, have declared a climate emergency So if we are going to mitigate against this climate emergency, then we really have to look at reducing our emissions. The targets the DEA and the AMA are calling for are, by state and federal government standards, aggressive. I understand you recently met with the New South Wales government. What did they say? So, yes, we spoke to the New South Wales Health Department. We didn't specifically talk about the targets. New South Wales has said that it will be carbon neutral by 2050. And I think all the other states and territories have had a similar statement, but obviously our federal government hasn't committed to that target. DEA targets are in line with the most recent scientific evidence, and this is consistent with the pathways that we're seeing if we want to try and keep global temperatures below 1.5 degrees temperature rise. The Climate Council is calling for all of Australia to have, and the world really, a 78% decrease in emissions by 2030 and carbon neutral by 2035. So we certainly feel that the targets that we've outlined in the healthcare sector is consistent with those. Why do you think the healthcare sector should lead on this in Australia? As we said, the climate change is a public health emergency. And if we're going to mitigate against that, then everybody needs to reduce their emissions. And as doctors and the healthcare sector, we really need to be at the forefront of showing how this can be done. 
We really need to lead by example. You know, one of the principles as doctors is to first cause no harm and through our own emissions we are causing harm. So we need to lead the way and reduce our own emissions. In the DA report, the UK's efforts are highlighted. Are they showing us how it's done and is that a good model to follow? Yes, they are showing us how to do it. I think the crucial component in the UK was that I think in 2008, the government, with bipartisan support, passed a law saying that the country needed to reduce its emissions. And so since 2008, they've been working on the carbon footprint of the healthcare sector. And hence, they have been able to define the problem. In Australia, there's some data on where our emissions are derived from but the UK has done a much more specific job. Hence, they're able to see where the benefits uh, can come from and what needs to be done to make emissions zero. Since that time, they've been able to reduce their emissions by over 10%, at the same time increasing the number of services that they've provided. And they also have been saving money. The last number I saw was approximately 70 million pounds per year of money saved. And when you talk to the area health services in Australia, they feel that if they can make those sort of savings, then that money can go directly into frontline services, which, as you know, at the moment are really stressed with the amount of workload that they have. It makes sense. Yeah, it's really great. And, you know, it's a win-win in many ways because you end up saving money. Often people working in the health services feel better. Many are concerned about the impacts of climate change and then they can see in their own workplace that something's being done. Plus, obviously, reducing emissions is going to help mitigate against future health impacts. One of the recommendations in the report is the establishment of a national sustainable healthcare unit, similar to the one operating in the UK. What do you see this unit doing and what power would they have? Currently in Australia, there are a number of organisations who are really trying to make an impact with uh, reducing emissions. So some area health services, for instance, would have a sustainability officer whose job is to really look for Uh, areas where the emissions can be reduced and money can be saved. But these are all happening on ad hoc basis. If there's a real champion within the area health service who wants to see this move forward, then the area is doing work. But there's no overriding structure and there's no specific targets or mechanisms in place to help these individual areas achieve their goals. So having a sustainable health unit would be able to provide some guidance to those areas that aren't working on this issue, uh, where to get the savings the fastest, be aware of the pitfalls and the mistakes that might distract people from achieving a goal. And also healthcare is a large industry and it buys many goods and services. And if everybody was working as one team, then there's going to be benefits as far as procurement of uh, medical supplies and other services, uh, which should also give us some financial benefits. So an overarching unit is really important to help identify the problem, to help coordinate the approach and to make sure that we can get to a target rather than ad hoc basis. Would the unit be like an advisor then, or would they actually have power to make people do things? There would be various models, and I guess we haven't specified a particular model in our report. 
I think personally it would be made up of a number of people. So there'd be economists in there. There would be medical experts as well who would say, well, this service is really important and we need to make sure that we focus on that or maybe this other issue isn't so important. It would be a diverse group of people, I think. Similar to how we've seen states respond to COVID. Yeah, that's right. So it certainly would need to be led by the science and it should be bipartisan or apolitical. It really needs to be an independent advisory board and needs to be able to have the ability to give incentives for areas to reduce their emissions and, you know, maybe the stick, as it were, that others might be punished if they weren't meeting targets. Hospitals comprise nearly half of the Australian healthcare industry's carbon footprint. Mm. The DEA calls on hospitals to stop installing gas and be 100% renewable by 2025. Mm -hmm. Does the DEA have the AMA support on this and how would hospitals reach this target? When you break it down as to where those emissions come from, electricity and energy is only about a quarter of that. A lot more will come from procurement, you know, the goods and services that are bought and consumed. And a lot of those emissions are scope three emissions. So they're often emissions that are caused by the production of those goods and services. The low-lying fruit is really the electricity supply and energy supply. And now that renewable energy is cheaper than all the fossil fuel-driven energy sources, there is significant money to be saved for hospitals to switch to renewable energy. So one of the lead asks is for that to occur in the hospital sector. And new hospitals that are being built are aiming that their energy comes from 100% renewable sources, such as the extension, I think, to the Canberra Hospital. And similarly, I think in South Australia, the new hospital that's going to be built is planning to be 100% renewable energy. Energy savings can come via changes within the hospitals themselves. So, you know, changing to LED lighting, etc., reduces emissions immediately and also saves on their electricity bill. Health services have been a bit frustrated because they can't get enough funding to set up the initial you know, solar array to try and provide enough energy. But it's also broader than that because even if you can cover all the hospitals in solar panels, that's insufficient to provide enough energy for those hospitals. So in New South Wales, for instance, there's a tender for supply of electricity to the public health sector. And it would be important for that process to have renewable energy incorporated into it so that hospitals can also become 100% renewable. But as I said, that's only based on the electricity use and the procurement is a more difficult area because many of those goods come from overseas, some are made locally and having control over that process is more difficult and it takes longer because there are already contracts for supplying a lot of these goods and this is again why a sustainable healthcare unit would be so important because they'd be able to look at the areas where these goods and services are coming from and taking those goods that have low emissions and hence low scope 3 emissions for the health service and provide them to the hospitals. Similar to the NHS announcing that they will no longer purchase from suppliers that do not meet or exceed their net zero commitment. That would be one of the asks, yeah. 
Another recommendation in the report is for a national zero expert panel to be established. Will this sit within the sustainable healthcare unit? And how would those two interact and who should be on this panel? So again, these are some of the details that need to be nutted out. The zero emissions panel would be that scientific body that would look at how to get to the zero target, what needs to be done. And the sustainable health care unit would be the mechanism to make that happen. Part of this is really measuring what is going on. If anyone's ever tried to do an assessment of their own carbon footprint or their workplace carbon footprint, you would realise how difficult it is to really get accurate figures. Part of the process is going to be the expert panel who can actually give consistent and reliable numbers on what is happening and consequently how to reduce those numbers. Another interesting part of the report was the recommendation to prioritise prevention, primary care and sustainable models of care, which kind of goes next step in a climate change response. Does the DA have the MA's full backing on this, given many of its members are physicians who rely on procedures for income? So it is interesting, the question of how to reduce emissions from the services that we provide. Some services are essential and other medical services that we provide are actually low-value interventions. Changing the way that we deliver medicine is going to be part of the process of us achieving a net zero emission target. For instance, as a rheumatologist, we need to do blood tests to monitor for any toxicities related to the medicines that we prescribe. Some people would do a blood test every month to monitor methotrexate, for instance. But, you know, some people have been on a very consistent dose and we're not changing that dose and have never had problems with uh, toxicity. A monthly blood test would be unnecessary. Those patients, for instance, could have a blood test every three months, maybe. That immediately would reduce uh, carbon emissions from providing that healthcare service by a third. There is examples like this throughout medicine. Some surgical interventions, for instance, may not be necessary. Maybe looking at the way that we investigate particular joint pain, whether we do a simple x-ray or whether we need to do an MRI or a bone scan, that all comes with a different emission output. The Thoracic Society and the RACP have recently released a document looking at five respiratory interventions there are of low value and they're uh, discouraging people from doing those interventions unless absolutely necessary. So for us to identify those kind of interventions is really going to be very important and uh, does mean that we need to sort of think about the way that we're delivering health uh, and this is going to be part of the process that we need to go through to achieve net zero emissions. Would the responsibility for determining you know, which procedure over another procedure, would that rest with the SHU? Because then the SHU is going to start to look pretty big. I think it's going to be beyond the remit of the SHU. It'll really come back to the subspecialties, I think, and maybe trying to identify those low-value healthcare interventions. Maybe AMA as an overarching body, which is made up of many subspecialties, would have to look at that as well. But we certainly haven't had any specific discussions about that to date.
Do you know if the AMA is willing to support this recommendation? These are the things that need to be discussed further. Last year was when we released the document. The AMA support those targets last year. A number of other colleges have been approached to support it as well. And the next step is really trying to nut out the details of how to achieve it. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks very much, Ben. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Tea Room. The show is produced and edited by the team of journalists at The Medical Republic. The artwork and music for the show is by Victoria Nelson. Stay safe, everyone.